If you yeah. speak out yeah. about your faith, um, you get backlash. If you keep your faith bottled up, there are some people in the faith community who say, why are you not speaking out more? Why are you not more open about your faith? Hello, I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel, and welcome to my podcast, Lighthouse Faith, Moving Forward in Truth and Love. Well, faith, politics, and baseball, three seemingly unrelated areas, but my guest today takes on all three in his new book. Ed Henry is my colleague here at Fox News Channel, and you've seen him often on the air, expertly dissecting all the goings-on in Washington, D.C., and beyond in the world of politics. And he's written a new book about baseball legend Jackie Robinson, the first African-American to play in Major League Baseball. The book is called 42 Faith, the rest, the rest of the Jackie Robinson story. And it really takes a look at not only Jackie Robinson's faith journey, but that of Branch Rickey, the Dodgers general manager who signed Robinson and brought him up for the minor leagues to uh, play first base on Ebbets Field. Well, Ed, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. First of all, it's great being here. We, we, we see each other in the hallways all the time, yeah. but now we're actually sitting and talking, and we always have these fascinating conversations. And mostly now, about faith. Yeah, mainly <laughs> about faith. <laughs> and speaking of that, I mean, I want to get to the book, because there's so much uh, There's so much we can talk about in the book, but I have you in the seat. I have yeah. you in the hot chair, and I want to talk about politics and faith and, and some rather disturbing stories concerning um, some recent conflicts between the two, particularly the Bernie Sanders yeah. questioning of Russell Vogt, who was the OMB uh, deputy um, director uh, um, uh, under President uh, Trump, nomination yeah. under President Trump, right. He, he got into religion. He got into questioning him about something about his faith concerning something he'd written um, to support Wheaton College mm-hmm. in their dismissing of a political science professor because she said something about Islam and, and mm-hmm. Christianity. And he was trying to write a, a, a piece that was basically doctrinal about the difference between Christianity and Islam. What's the backlash on this? Yeah, I think Bernie Sanders has heard a lot of grief about it, and rightly so, because it appeared that he was lashing out at a Trump nominee over their beliefs. I suspect that if the nominee had been Muslim uh, and their beliefs had been questioned in this way, uh, there would be um, you know, a much different kind of backlash. And I think in this case um, – um, You know, first of all, Bernie Sanders wouldn't have even questioned that person's Muslim beliefs probably. Um, Instead, uh, he appeared to be, you know, kind of making it seem like this nominee wouldn't be able to separate their personal beliefs from their policy decisions. And I think we all grapple with this in all walks of life, not just in politics. Uh, But I think, unfortunately, these kind of episodes leave people in public life wondering, you're sort of darned if you do, darned if you don't. If you speak out about your faith, um, you get backlash. If you keep your faith bottled up, there are some people in the faith community who say, why are you not speaking out more? Why are you not more open about your faith? Um, and um, I think uh, there's sort of no no win there. Uh, and I think Bernie Sanders just largely missed the mark because um, as I've understood it in some of the backlash, there's been backlash not just from Republicans uh, and Christians uh, for him seemingly um, you know, lashing out at this nominee for expressing their strong Christian beliefs. Um, But even some former Obama officials spoke out and Mm -hmm. said, 
why are you focusing on a person's faith in a confirmation hearing in the Senate when Democrats are rallying against President Trump on the substantive issues of his right. budget? This was what the hearing was really supposed to be about, and it seemed a distraction from that. So I also found that interesting because you had Democrats saying, Bernie Sanders, you're just going <laughs> off on this weird left turn, I guess. Right, right, right. And, you know, it actually happened. And soon after that, uh, it has something happened across the pond, as mm-hmm. we say, to uh, Tim Farron, who was the leader of the Britain's Liberal Democrats, he actually stepped down because they kept needling him about certain aspects of his faith and what what he actually believed. And it concerned homosexuality and abortion and all of the hot topic mm-hmm. things that sort of divide left from light, right. Um, and he wrote, um, and there's an article in The Economist talking about this, but he wrote, a better, wiser person may have been able to remain faithful in Christ while leading a political party in the current environment, to be a leader, particularly of a progressive liberal party in 2017, and to live as a committed Christian and to hold faithful to the Bible's teaching has felt impossible for me. And several articles have now been writing about this, thinking, you know, is this where we're headed? Right. I think that we are headed and maybe are already there in terms of people in public life just shielding that part of their life from the world because they feel there'll be backlash. Uh, In America, back on this side of the pond, uh, I definitely, in covering politics, have seen that, um, you know, if a politician speaks out about their faith, there are going to be critics saying they're being showy, they're being preachy, Mm -hmm. uh, they're doing this for the cameras. Um, If they don't show faith, there are going to be some people wondering, um, is this absent in in your life? And obviously, faith is an important part of all of our lives. I, I thought back when you're reading that quote, um, when that official was saying, you know, there may be better, wiser people. Part of my book, 42 Faith, I go through Jackie Robinson, um, an unpublished manuscript he had written before he died in 1972 that mm-hmm. was never published, but the uh, Robinson family allowed me to use some of it. Um, and he at one point says, you know, there are better Christians than I, but I just knew the, I just did the best I knew how. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those words sort of resonate as you read that, uh, a politician struggling with, with these questions. It made me think back to the 30s and 40s when Jackie Robinson was struggling with his own faith. Yeah. And faith became a change, a part of a change agent here. Um, you mentioned Branch Rickey, the general manager of the Dodgers. He struggled with this decision uh, first in 1945 and then in 47 when he brought Jackie up to the big leagues and the Dodgers and Ebbets Field, as you said, um, b- because this was not just about signing a baseball player. Yeah. It was about changing America. And it right. was going to have an impact on public policy, which is why I think this is all coming full circle. And so to bring it back to your original you know, first two questions – uh, I think it's a real problem when politicians who have Christian beliefs have to sort of put them in a little box somewhere. Mm-hmm. And can't, if that's who you are, how do you just sort of excise that right. from your public life? Right. I'm not saying that politicians or budget officials should, you know, um, take their private beliefs, their religious beliefs, their faith beliefs. Um, and impose it on everyone. It's not like this budget official should, if confirmed, uh, then use his Trump administration position right, to say right. Christianity is the way to go. And you know, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm not saying that. Right. But you can't just divorce that from the rest of your life. And if his, and because sometimes this works out differently. For a quick example. This budget official might be assume you might assume that vote uh, would be somebody who would impose what Democrats are calling draconian budget cuts that President Trump wants, you know, because he's going to just walk the, the the line. 
On the other hand, if he has these strong Christian beliefs, there may be some specific anti-poverty programs and other things that he might feel from a conscience standpoint, I I can't cut this part of the budget. I think we should keep it. It might make strong, forceful arguments within the Trump administration that Democrats would support. So that's another reason why I think Bernie Sanders essentially attacking this budget nominee over his Christian beliefs. His Christian beliefs might actually lead him to a place in his public <laughs> Work in his favor. <laughs> that might actually help Bernie Sanders' position here. But he, he just seemed to completely miss the yeah. boat. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that, you know, it's, I want to get to the book right after this, but yeah. I think one of the things that's very, very important when I cover religion is a lot of people don't understand there's just incredibly doctrinal differences between the major faiths. And they don't really understand that. And I think a lot of people kind of operate with the belief that we're all the same. It's all the same religious. No, 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 no. They're actually quite different at their core, at their core core tenet of what the religion is about. They're actually quite different. And I think that Bernie Sanders questioning uh, Russell Vogt brought that out blaringly. It really did. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to go back. Go to, let's go to 42 because this is this is so incredible. And I just want to know, like, why is a you know, young white male like you <laughs> writing about the first African-American to play in Major League Baseball. Yeah, well, I appreciate you still calling me young. I'm 45, <laughs> um, but uh, not 42. It's relative, you know. It's relative. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it is a great question because I've had more people ask me why is somebody who cover, uh, covers politics uh, writing a book about baseball and really about faith. That one is quicker and easier, which is that um, I feel like I just have this passion for baseball mm-hmm. and passion for faith as well. Um, and um, I wanted to delve deeper. Like, why write a book about politics, something I do every day? Yeah. I wanted to do something else that was just completely different. Wow. And I think my passion for it comes out in the book, and I've heard that, thankfully, from a lot oh, of readers. Absolutely, absolutely. About, you, could, it, it, you paint such a wonderful picture well, of the era and of what's about. I mean, even having Juan Williams do the forward, you know, mm-hmm. just to give that background of somebody who kind of really – who lived as, as, along with Jackie Robinson. Yeah, kind and, of like, and when you talk about white and black, Juan Williams is a very good friend of mine. So – um, I didn't just slap him on there and say, hey, well, you're an African-American <laughs> writer and commentator. And um, first of all, he's written more passionately and more um, eloquently than I ever could about the civil rights movement, the definitive biography of Thurgood Marshall, um, on and on and on. Um, I also added um, Larry King, who, who wrote an introduction yes. that, that, you know, gave us the flavor of Brooklyn, I thought, because, you know, mm-hmm. I thought, you know, let, let, let's bring this all together. Um, the other part of this is – um, that when you ask about why a white male, and, and that's why I talk about Juan and I being friends. Juan Williams really encouraged me over many dinners. We both live in Washington. Mm-hmm. Juan, like I, sort of fascinated with how, and you, you know, how faith intersects with politics. Sure. And for Juan and I as guys, I guess, you know, how faith interacts with sports. And so you see, I mean, I remember one dinner with Juan when this was a gleam in my eye, this idea I was going to write a book about Jackie Robinson. Um, and a lot of publishers were kind of laughing it off to me, saying, like, there's been a million books written about Jackie Robinson. You couldn't possibly have anything new. We saw the movie 42, you know. And so – and you, you Which wasn't a complete version of it what was, really I mean, happened. 42 was a great movie and I never want to trash it. But it's the Hollywood version, you know, yeah. folks. It's 5, 10, 12 percent of the story. Right. Um, it's, it's literally a slice of time. And so Juan was telling me – I remember one dinner where Juan Williams was saying, you know, Albert Pujols is one of these great ball players, just hit his 600th home run now with the Angels. And he said, you know, when he reaches home plate, he points to the sky and people see that. And it's a wonderful public demonstration of his faith. But then how many people, because as we were talking about the political discussion a moment ago, a lot of these baseball players then don't say later 
more about their faith, maybe because they're afraid reporters mm-hmm, are going to mm-hmm. delve more. Um, you know, they want to keep it private. But they have these moments of display. And Juan said it fascinates him like me and in 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 what really motivates some of these ball players and how they're multidimensional. They're not just these guys hitting home runs. Right, right. And Jackie Robinson is the ultimate embodiment of that. And so I grew up a Yankees fan. I think it's actually harder, uh, not that a white male was trying to write a book about a a black uh, hero, uh, that a Yankees fan was trying to write a book about a Dodgers hero, Lauren. I think that's the real question, you know, in all seriousness, because uh, my first memory of of, of baseball, not from one of the first, was 1981 World Series. My dad took me to Yankees-Dodgers at Yankee Stadium, Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Yankees won that game, went up 2-0, and I never forget my dad saying after the game, um, wow, Tommy John had just won. He said, now they're going out to L.A. for three games. They just have to win like one out there. They'll come back. They'll be up 3-2 and it'll be over. We'll win it back here at game six. And then the Yankees lost all three in L.A. and they lost game six in Yankee Stadium. And so that's a reminder. You never – get you know, like Yogi Berra said, it ain't over till it's over. It ain't um, over till so it's over. So I'm a Yankee fan writing this. And, yeah, it was hard because as a white male, you're trying to put yourself in the shoes of the civil rights icon. One of the ways I dealt with that is that you simply can't. I mean you could right, try. Right, right, But – what I tried to do was read every possible thing I could. I interviewed the survivors who are still here. Jackie sadly died so early in 1972. Yeah. His wife, Rachel, is unbelievable. She's still alive, about 95 years old. Wow. And try to talk to people wow. like her about what it was really like. And as I read about, it wasn't just people shouting the N-word. It was people threatening his life, yeah. threatening Rachel's life. It was nasty. It was vile. Um, and so— And seemingly good Christians doing it, too. Right. And so that— <laughs> also led me to this thing where I I just felt like as one publisher after another told me, like kind of who cares about his faith and why would his faith matter in this story? It's like the vile stuff we were just talking about. How else could someone say, I'm going to still walk out on the baseball field and literally risk my life? April 15th, 1947, Jackie's first big league game. Before the game, the Dodgers are briefed in the clubhouse about the fact that there's a sniper who's written some sort of letter saying, if you put that black guy, you probably use worse language, out on the field, I'm going to shoot him. And they're they're walking out into Ebbets Field. Like, is there somebody behind that building or in that seat? Or there's no metal detectors in 1947. Who who, who knows who's where? Quick quick story, because I know you have a lot of other questions, which is in the movie 42, we cannot sanitize history. There were a lot of white teammates who circulated that petition from the Deep South and said, if you promote Jackie to the big leagues in April 47, we're not going to play. You know, they wanted a boycott. Um, there were other white players, as I point out in the book, like a Ralph Branca, who just died recently, a uh, famous pitcher for the Dodgers. And he gets briefed about this thing that, you know, Jackie, there might be a sniper out there. He makes a show of standing right next to Jackie during the opening introduction because wow. it was opening day. So they bring everybody out on the field wow. before he even, even caught a ball or anything. After the game, Ralph Branca came from a big family. One of his many brothers said, Ralphie, what the heck were you thinking? <laughs> what if the guy was a bad shot and he shot you? And he... Ralph Branca said something to the effect of, there are a lot worse ways to go than to stand up for a teammate. Wow. You had white teammates doing that. Wow. In 1947, you didn't get a lot of public credit or adulation for standing up for a black guy. I never I mean, saw that in the movie. Born. That wasn't in the movie. <laughs> Ralph Branca was in the movie in a couple scenes. There were some goofy things. They didn't have that in the movie. Wow. That different kind of era. I tell you, there was just a whole mood in the country that was so different. And I want to get to Branch Rickey because mm. – you know, this wasn't – he knew what he was doing. Right. He knew that this was going to change America and he had to do it right. Right. And he went to 
a minister. Yes. So that was the new element that really got me into this, which is I'm at a dinner party 10 years ago. I'll give you the short version so you can actually read 42 Faith. But I'm at the Belgium ambassador's house. He serves pigeon, which is disgusting. I don't know what it, the woman next to me says. It's squab. You know, it's a delicacy in Belgium. I don't know a squab. I was born in Astoria. Pigeons are dirty birds, right? <laughs> Flying rats, as they say. So I'm digging in this thing. There are these little bones in there. Then a senator gives a speech. It's a small dinner party. It's like a filibuster. I said, what is going on here? Turn to the woman next to me. And she says, I said, I'm going to go home and watch the World Series. And she says, oh, are you a baseball fan? I said, yeah. She said, my late father-in-law had a major role in baseball history, but the story's never been told. Like, and I'm like, da da da, you know. Like, and I know you would, as a reporter, sit back down. Like, what are yes. you talking about? You know. And um, a lot of people have asked me, um, you know, was she black? Because when you talk about race, because her father-in-law was a minister in Brooklyn mm-hmm. that Branch Rickey went to see. And so people have asked me, was the minister black? Like, was that bringing right. the races together? No, it was a white minister um, who basically sat down with Branch Rickey for 45 minutes as he paced and prayed. In 1945, two years before the big leagues, uh, Rickey was deciding whether to uh, put Jackie in the minor leagues where you're sort of a farm team. You get your yeah, practice. Right. And a quick sidebar, which is that Jackie played for the Montreal Royals after he was signed. And I, I have it in the book, but the statistic was something like the po- the black population in Montreal in 1945, 46, was about 1.23%, you know. But Jackie and Rachel later said that the people of Montreal embraced them wow. more than people in the Deep South in America. What a commentary yeah. that he had to go all the way to Montreal. And Brent Rickey was smart. Get him out of here. Get him out of don't don't put him in a minor league team in Birmingham, Alabama. Right. You know, get right. him somewhere else and let him hone his skills as a baseball player. The point of the minister story in forty five is that Ricky was struggling because to your point Ricky knew this was not just signing a ball player. It was not just signing a white or a black player. It was about changing America. The military wasn't uh, integrated yet. Right. The uh, Most schools in America were not integrated. And there was public pressure in a lot of areas at this point in 45, if you read your history closely. But everybody was sort of on the diving board like, ah, you know, am I going to do this? Are you going to do that? Are you going to? And Branch Ricky boldly stood at the end of that diving board and wow. said, I'm, I'm diving in. But first, he stopped with this minister. After 45 minutes of prayer and counsel, he basically says, I've decided to sign Jackie the first contract. I needed to be in your presence. I needed to be in God's presence to know it was the right thing to do. When I heard that story, I go on this journey as a reporter to figure out, is the story true? And I'll leave the details of the book or we can get into it. But the real point was – so, okay, how much did faith play in Branch Rickey's decision? But the other part of it that really helped me – put this together as a story was, wait a second, why am I just focusing on Branch Rickey? The real hero here, uh, not to take anything away from Branch as a white Mm -hmm, man, mm -hmm. you know, making that plunge, they had to do it together. Um, Jackie was the one who endured most of the abuse. He was the one and had his neck on the line. And and we'd never really heard much in the movie 42 or in the books about Jackie's faith. And it turned out his faith was pretty deep. It was not as public. So Ricky is somebody, one of his nicknames was the Mahatma because he'd go to the sports writers and he'd preach and he'd say, oh, boys, here's what I want to do. And, you know, Harrison Ford did a really great uh, job yeah, yeah, in the movie yeah. 42. And he was a preacher, you know, right. and he wore it on his sleeve. And we have people in our society, we take it back to the politics discussion, who they love talking about their faith, you know, and they may <laughs> or may not be very faithful. Um, in Brad Ricky's case, I think he was faithful. He wore it on his sleeve. Jackie was like a lot of our listeners. 
they're faithful. But right. they don't have to right. be showy about it. But th- didn't he have to have a certain kind of faith? Because one of the things we talked about before is that being a good baseball player, player was the minimum yeah. that that branch where he was looking for. Yeah. He so had to be Ricky, a right kind of baseball Ricky does player. these scouting reports of all yeah. these players in what they called the Negro Leagues. And, and people at the time didn't understand. He'd ask, you know. Uh, you know, they bring back scouting reports. <clears throat> you know, he could hit the ball to left field really well, and he's a home run hitter. Uh, he can throw from shortstop to first, which is the longest throw. And he'd say, oh, is he a Christian? You know, and oh, wait, why do you want to know about that? And, and it's because it, Ricky got that he had to do a more complicated picture of all of these players. Because just because, like, Satchel Page was somebody they considered. He's a famous pitcher. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't really a man of faith. People didn't even know how old he was because he had, you know, two different birth certificates. And he was just one of these characters, Satchel Page. But he wasn't a man of faith like Jackie. And Jackie also had that that not-so-secret ingredient of Rachel. They weren't married yet when he first uh, came through the minor leagues, but they were together. And that's why when they have this famous three-, four-hour meeting in Brooklyn, after Ricky meets with the minister, he calls Jackie to Brooklyn from Kansas City where he's with the Kansas City Monarchs playing a game in Chicago, sends a scout bring Jackie to me in Brooklyn. They have like a four-hour meeting in the summer of 45. And this is depicted pretty well in the the movie. This is when Ricky, you know, is pounding him with, they're going to call you boy and they're not going to let you into the hotel and you can't get a table at the restaurant. And and Jackie's like full lather and he had a real (laughs) temper. And he's ready to punch this old white man out. Like, because he's like throwing you know, bad words because he's trying to provoke him. And he's trying to see, is my scouting report right that this guy really is a well-rounded man? And by the way, when the meeting started, the first of hundreds of questions he asked Jackie was, do you have a girl? Jackie was like, huh? Because he's like this young guy who's like, don't pin me down on whether I'm going to get married, you know. Right, and, right, right. But he wanted to know, are you going to marry this Rachel or not? Because you need a support network. So that's the mind working of Ricky. Yeah. Then when he's in the full lather, he, you know, um, he basically – Jackie jumps up and says, he's ready to punch this old white man. He says, do you want someone who's not tough enough to fight back? And Ricky says, no, I want someone tough enough to not fight back. Yeah. To realize that sometimes you got to really stand up for your rights, whether you're black or white, whether you're Jewish or, or Catholic, whatever you know, civil rights issue of the time is, you got to stand and fight sometimes. And other times you got to let it go. And you got to be strong enough. See, the greater the fortitude. Strength, is to pull back the punch. Sometimes. You know. And be ready for when the punch will really pack a wallop. And so Jackie's holding the fists in the air, literally. (laughs) And 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 finally says to Ricky, Mr. Ricky, I have another cheek. That was a clear idea that after all this tension that Ricky had understood correctly from the scouting reports that that was a clear allusion to the Bible and that Jackie knew he could turn the other cheek sometimes. Um, not all the time because he got into a lot of scrapes. <laughs> um, and, and that's to his credit. But it was also to his credit that there were people like Malcolm X who would say awful things like Jackie was an Uncle Tom later yeah, in his that's... life because they thought that he's a guy who won't fight all the time. You know, why won't he fight? Why won't he fight harder? Why, why won't he? And because Jackie understood that it was a mix, right? Right, um, right. And the idea that Jackie would be criticized by anyone later in life when – if you think about Ricky and Robinson, because, again, they both get credit. But to be starting this process in 45, you, you know, Martin Luther King later said that Jackie Robinson was a sit-inner before there were sit-ins. So we didn't even wow. know what the word, the phrase right. was. People weren't even at lunch counters yet. 
and Jackie was doing it. I mean, and, the legacy of this man, because you know, you talk, bring out in this book that his grandparents were actually born slaves. Mm-hmm. How close he was to Jim Crow and all those other kinds he of was. things. And you know what you know? I want to say in terms of faith, but also, you know, we just had Father's Day, and I was out talking about the book, and baseball is passed down from fathers to sons. Yeah. But it really was a woman. It's really about Mother's Day to me. It's about Jackie Robinson's mother. His father, he never knew. Yeah. Father left home. Um, and Rolling Stone. Yeah, Rolling Stone. <laughs> and Mally Robinson. Mm-hmm. Think about the thing that struck me. There were so many details I picked up. But the one that struck me had nothing to do with baseball. I could talk about stats. I could do that all day. And I've done all these sports radio. State, but the one I know that will resonate with you is that Mally Robinson is in the Deep South. They're in um, Georgia. And she's on this plantation, the Sasser plantation. And the, Jim Sasser was nasty to her. And, and, and she stood back. She stood up to him and was tough as nails, uh, Mally Robinson. You think about an African-American woman around 1919, 1920 wow. in Georgia, okay, whose husband's now left home. The plantation owner's like, where the heck is he? Because he was doing all this work for me. And you're trying to explain, like, who's going to do the work now and what's happening on the – and she takes Jackie, four siblings, a cousin, probably a chicken and a rooster, you know, like, I mean, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but when you read the accounts of the family, there are like nine or 10 relatives. And she's got a half brother in Pasadena who says that California is halfway to heaven. Wow. I don't think he meant it literally heaven, but she, that was her shot at the American dream. Yeah. Think about the cars on that train. I looked it up. It's you know, three, 4,000 miles to go from Georgia to California today. If you're in a first-class Amtrak car for that ride coast-to-coast, coast, it's still long it, yeah, and arduous <laughs> today, okay, with air conditioning. Yeah. These so-called colored cars did not have air conditioning. They were dirty. They were nasty. How wow. uncomfortable was that? And what I remember, the detail that I mentioned, is that she had a few dollars to her name. She did not carry a purse or a wallet. She sewed that money into her dress. Yeah. To make sure she did not lose it and that nobody took it from her. And I thought about that. I was writing the book. One of the things that motivated me was, what if that woman did not, Mally Robinson, what if that woman did not sew those few dollars into the dress? Were those a few dollars that like sort of this legacy of Jackie Robinson was sort of hanging in the balance? He didn't even know it. He was an infant. Wow. And that woman had guts. And we forget about it. When we talk about baseball, we talk about men and boys and, and Branch Rickey. Yeah, he's a hero. But... None of this would have happened without Mally Robinson having the guts to go to California, number one. And number two, she was a woman of faith. Um, she was a Methodist, just like um, Branch Rickey's parents, and instilled that. And so when Jackie joins a gang as a kid, doesn't have the father at home, it was a minister, Reverend Carl Downs, who grabs him, you know, like by the lapels and says, you know, your mom is pouring all this and investing in this in you, and you're going to waste all this athletic talent. And, and another detail that stuck with me is that he listens to the minister he makes it to UCLA, becomes the so-called first four-letter man, meaning you get the varsity letter for baseball, basketball, football, and track and field. Plays football on Saturdays, a halfback. Some people say, uh, who saw him play, mm-hmm. that he would have been better than Jim Brown. You know, he's wow. one of the all-time greats. Now, Mr. Brown is still alive. He probably has other ideas. <laughs> um, I've seen him. He's, he's still big. Um, but Jackie was unbelievable fullback. If he had gone that route in the NFL, he might have been the best of all time. He plays on Saturday, gets all banged up, gets up Sunday morning. And teaches Sunday school in Pasadena wow. at the Scott Methodist United Methodist Church, and I, it just that also struck me as well. Not to beat up on wow. the current generation, but 
How many of these college football stars are going to teach Sunday school? I don't know. You know what? I, I know we're running out of time because you yeah. you got to leave. But I one question I do want to get to because I think it's very, very important. And I think this is what Branch Ricky talked about when he had to choose the right player. Because the issue was if Jackie Robinson failed, mm-hmm. it would not just have been a fail for Jackie Robinson. Nope. An entire race. Um, and more because, you know, I want to answer the question in two ways. One is as people – Let me answer it this way first because it's more direct, and then I'll give you a longer version, which is Buck O'Neill, who was a Negro League star, actually answered this question. You say, how could I, as you said at the beginning, as a white male, really understand Jackie Robinson? I can't fully understand what the times were in the 40s and 50s and what it would have meant. But Buck O'Neill was there. He Mm -hmm. was an African-American leader. And he said at one point that if Jackie failed, he believed it would be – 25 years or more, that it would be decades before another black player got a chance. Now, that sounds pretty harsh now. Like, oh, come on. But look, there were, you know, there was, there, I believe there were 16 teams in 45. There had been a secret vote around the time that Ricky went forward, 15 to 1. The Dodgers were the only ones who wanted uh, to integrate the game. The wow. other 15 teams said no. So the point is, the reason why people say, well, why, why was Branch Ricky praying on this? And well, because if, if Jackie was a failure, they were coming for Ricky. And they were going to say, you're an idiot. You know, you told us that this is going to work out. And, all, and Jackie washes out. So he had all of that riding on him, not just as a ball player, but, but for an entire race and more. Because the second part I want to, I want to, the way I want to answer the question, some people have asked me, do you think Jackie would be disappointed? that there are really not a lot of black baseball stars now. Mm-hmm. And I don't know for sure. Really? Well, I'm, I'm not even aware at, of that because I'm not. I don't follow so baseball that much. I was much, thinking yeah. about getting into this in the book, and then I said, "Well, I've got such a narrow look at faith, and I really wanted to dive deep on that." And I felt like it would be a distraction, but it, it's something that fascinates me because I sat down with Dusty Baker, who's one of the only black managers. I believe there's two: Dave Roberts with the Dodgers and Dusty Baker with the Nationals. Um, and it really—that was one of the things that really angered Jackie before he died in '72. He wanted to be the first black manager, and it angered him that at that point in '72. There were no black managers. He integrates uh-huh. the game as a player in 47. It's not until about 75 that Frank Robinson is in no relation is the, is the first black manager. But here's my point. Um, the, most of the stars now, Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, great players, all white. Um, there are not many black stars. There are a lot. It's really not even a white game. It's a Latino game. Wow. And I'd answer the, the question this way, two, two ways. Which is, would Jackie be disappointed now that, like, all he did was for not? Yeah. I don't think so because in terms of baseball, it's a Latino game now. Mm-hmm. And Latinos were largely kept out too, you know. So he opened the game not just for black players. Right. He was opening the game, period. And so I think that's a wonderful legacy. Number two is LeBron James and, you know, Kevin Durant. They might not have had all these wonderful opportunities right, in the NBA baseball without Jackie. And it didn't NFL just open up and, baseball. Right. And so Jackie's legacy is not this narrow. How many black people are there in Major League Baseball today? It's how has society changed for the better? And all of these wonderful stars who have bring, brought their talents, you know, they might have been baseball players if the NFL or the NBA were not opened up. But it's now – it cracked open all these leagues. The NFL likes to, as I was working on the book, point out, I believe they had at least one or two black players before baseball did. And they feel like they never – because everyone <laughs> talks about Jackie Robinson and a great hero. But, you know, the NBA was, was a nothing at that point in 45, 47 and, and really has now grown into a major game. And so I guess my broader point is that that's why I think Jackie Robinson really is a hero. As much as I'm a baseball fan, yeah. that's what inspired me. 
heard me here. This is a man who just changed America, period. Ah, that's great. Great to end with. Ed Henry, uh, my colleague here at Fox News Channel. Great to be with you. Uh, great book, 42, The Rest of the Jackie Robinson Story. Uh, please get it because it's a fascinating look at American history, really, yeah. but also just this narrative of faith in politics and baseball and faith in politics <laughs> and baseball. It's all, it's all there. Interwoven. It's all there. Well, thank you so much. And thank Thanks you so much me. for listening um, to my podcast, Lighthouse Faith, moving forward in faith and love. Thank you so much.